You are now listening to the Millennial Travel Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, Millennial Travel Podcast? It's Matt coming back at you with another episode after a few weeks off. I know I had done a bunch of solo episodes and that was a lot of fun, but we are going to start getting back to interviews and have some exciting things lined up for the Live Different podcast. And uh, yeah, it's been six years of podcasting, going to change it up a little bit. Uh, Some exciting announcements coming for you guys soon, Uh, but we're going to keep moving forward with the Millennial Travel podcast and the interviews that we always deliver here for you all. And today we have a very special guest. Uh, As I say, everybody's very special. I don't know why you started using that phrase, but I've been probably doing it for years. But uh, this is a good one if you are interested in ever living abroad. And uh, But before I get started, I want to let you know at Under 30 Experiences, travel is coming back. Yes, our small business is back on its feet. We are up and running and uh, we have a lot of exciting stuff. You know, of course, we may do with what we had uh, to visit here in the United States and that has been a lot of fun and we're going to do this again, do that again this summer to all the national parks from the Grand Canyon to Yosemite to Yellowstone, all over the place. Um, but we want to let you guys know that Greece is about to open their borders May 14th. Got a couple really good trips on sale and especially the one that is opening up June 5th. So if you are got your shots or just a negative COVID test, you can go out on that one. Um, Peru is going to be opening its borders. Uh, so that's really exciting. Uh, Iceland opening its borders uh, to people who are vaccinated or can show proof of previous COVID infection. Guatemala is open to all fully vaccinated travelers uh, or those presenting a negative COVID test. I mean, 4.6 million vaccines were distributed in the United States on Saturday alone, which is just out uh, astounding. I was going to say outstanding, but uh, both of those things would lead, would be true. Of course, uh, Costa Rica has no requirements traveling except travel insurance. Belize, you can take a negative PCR test and get into the country. No problem. Uh, if you're fully vaccinated, uh, that's not a problem either. Um, you won't have to show that negative test. Uh, God, where else? Um, Mexico has been open for a while, as a lot of you guys know. And Ecuador, you can get into if you present a negative COVID test. And um, you can also... Um, yes, vaccinated passengers are exempt um, from those requirements. So a lot of places opening up, travel is rebounding. Uh, the Delta CEO sounded very optimistic. American Airlines is no longer expecting empty seats on planes. So a lot going on in travel and uh, we can't wait to, we are so happy to be back. Let's let's say that it is not here and now. So uh, listening to this interview, if you're interested in going abroad, Europe, of course, is still a little bit behind the United States, but hopefully uh, this summer and, and uh, definitely into the fall, they should be open for us. So 
lots of optimism on the horizon. Thank you guys for sticking with us. And uh, oh, one other thing, I'm back on Snapchat, Matt Wilson TV, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and um, I'm not so active on TikTok, but Under 30 Experiences is. So Under 30 Experiences on all those platforms, actually, Snapchat is at Under 30X. But uh, anyway, enjoy the episode. Can't wait to get back at you next week. Thanks so much. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today we're here with David McNeil from Expat Empire. He has lived what seems like all over the world uh, in Tokyo, in Berlin, in Portugal, and uh, he helps people get abroad. His life goal is to help others to discover the lifestyle that provides them with the greatest possible motivation and excitement. Then he works with them to create and execute a plan to achieve it. Uh, he has worked in product management, invest in investment banking, uh, and he has actually worked abroad, it sounds like, at different universities and not just as a digital nomad. He has a book out, The Passport to Working in Japan, and uh, I'm just excited to talk to him and see where things go and what value we can derive uh, for the listener who is uh, interested in living abroad. So without further ado, David, welcome. Hey, Matt. Thank you so much for having me on the show. No, you're, you're absolutely welcome. Uh, it's, yeah, I, I always enjoy talking with people with worldly experiences and also who have missions to help other people uh, do this uh, as well. So would love to just kick it off by asking you, um, I, I guess, about your travel background and how you decided that I want to live abroad. Yeah, definitely. So um, I guess just in general, growing up, I did have a good number of opportunities with family to travel abroad to, I mean, for example, going to Mexico, going on a cruise here or there, going to uh, Europe for a couple of weeks. Didn't travel too often, but once in a while um, inside and outside the US. But for me, somehow I developed this really intense interest in Japan when I was 12 years old. And that's where it all kind of started for me in terms of thinking about how to build that life abroad. I was interested in uh, Japanese language, culture, the animation, the games, all that fun stuff. And I just started with a book and cassette tape set and uh, kept studying 30 minutes a day for many months, uh, finished that book and, and cassette tape set a few times over, and then started taking language courses after school, working with tutors, speech contests, and finally went uh, abroad to Japan for the first time when I was 17. So I went to high school group and uh, really just had a wonderful experience. Came back from that, pumped up to learn Jap more Japanese and also to match that with my interest in business and finance in university. So I did that at UT Austin. And uh, when I was 19, I went back to Japan with a friend for a month. And after that second one month trip, I came back and thought this place is amazing, but I don't want to come back here as just a tourist. I want to come here and live. And so that was my sort of first and main dream in terms of living abroad and getting that international experience. It took me quite some years after that to actually make that dream happen. But I finally did move to Tokyo for ultimately two years when, uh, in 2014. So really um, cool. Yeah, that's how it all kind of kicked off. And, and David, where are you originally from in the States? 
Yeah, it's a difficult one to uh, answer because I moved around a lot growing up as well, which I think probably plays into this, you know, seeing different even cultures within the United States, right? But I usually uh, say, I guess the easiest answer is in California. So I was born there, uh, didn't go to school much there until I was in eighth grade. So then moved to Los Angeles with my family, went, uh, of course, through 12th grade. And then uh, lived there last in, for, in San Francisco uh, for the last place before I, then I moved to Tokyo. So um, been abroad since 2014, but that's kind of the main place where I have a lot of my friends still and kind of connect okay. with most. Cool. And, and why did you move around as a kid so much? Uh, actually, for both my parents' jobs uh, at different times for each of their different jobs. So. Um, my mom was teaching at diff, uh, universities at the time, so sometimes going to a different university where she could find that teaching opportunity. And my dad was mostly working in the visual effects departments of different companies like DreamWorks and some of these movie uh, studios. So he was sometimes working remotely, like when we lived in Mobile, Alabama for seven years when I was growing up before moving to then Los Angeles so he could be closer to work. So. Yeah, just uh, parents' jobs and going from one place to another, being sometimes closer to other family and things like that. that that's awesome. Um, and as someone personally who has moved around quite a bit, I always kind of look back and wonder, and I'm still moving around quite a bit, if those kind of connections, I mean, I have friends, my friends are spread out throughout the world, um, mm-hmm. you know, mainly in the United States. I, I Again, I've friends all over the place, but um, I now seem to have made friends with people who also are a little bit more nomadic. And so I'd love to know um, if you've been able to, do you feel like you have a lot of close friends? Like you mentioned your, your, your close friends are in Los Angeles um, or, or in California. So yeah, I, I'd love to know how building those bonds um, really develop uh, for you? Because I think a lot of people listening to this would probably say, well, I'd like to go abroad, but all my friends and family are here uh, Mm -hmm. at home. So how how do you kind of get past that? Yeah, I would like to say as well that I have a lot of nomadic friends and frankly, friends all over the world. Maybe they're living in one country or another, or they've moved on since I've moved on from there. But it was really uh, amazing for me to see, for example, when uh, my wife and I, well, we got married legally in Japan, but then we were living in Berlin anyway. And uh, we had a wedding party kind of just to get together for friends in Berlin. And it was incredible to see the turnout of people, of course, locally in Berlin, all of our friends there, but also people from around Germany, people from other countries in Europe with family and friends coming from the US. And so just, really that recognition of, wow, we've really, uh, both of us have developed such a network, a great network of friends that maybe were from high school that were still close friends, the guys living in California, or indeed people that I've met all along the way, um, you know, made some good friends in Japan, but I've made some really incredible friends in Berlin. And now I'm trying to develop that here in Portugal, but having only been here for the last little over a year, it's been more difficult, let's say. (laughs) But I I think uh, that shouldn't hopefully keep people from going abroad because it gives an opportunity for people to come and visit them or for you to go back and visit family. And uh, it is indeed not easy necessarily to make those initial friends when you first move. But if you're somewhere for at least a year, I mean, in a more long-term scenario, then um, I think it's, you know, if you put in the effort, 
you'll be able to really build some strong bonds with locals and other expats as well. Sure. Um, no, that, that makes sense. I, I just, yeah, I find it interesting because sometimes, sometimes I'll be in a place and I'll just kind of, I'll struggle a little bit. And now uh, just not, I don't struggle to make friends, but I think struggling to make more than not superficial friends, I guess. Okay. I'll tell you, I have really close friends from high school. I have really close friends from college. And then I have a a handful of random dispersed friends uh, that I've met through business or travel or, you know, my friends in Costa Rica. Um, And so, but a lot of those people are entrepreneurs, they're transient folks, uh, they're travelers. And so we're friends because we're very like-minded, right? But uh, it's sometimes hard to stay in touch with these people or uh, I I know I'm coming on the expat empire (laughs) podcast. um, So I won't, uh, I won't repeat some of the stuff we might talk about, but in Costa Rica, for example, it was a transient place. It was a tourist town. And so Mm. it was always tough. My wife and I talk about this where we'd get close with somebody or even when we were living in Austin, uh, where a lot of our good friends do live. Uh, yeah. And then people take off to go on the next adventure or we take off and it, it can be difficult. Yeah, for sure. I found that to be more the case uh, with my experience first when I was traveling around Europe. So I did that uh, right before I ended up finding the job and moving to Tokyo. And I, at first I was, you know, staying at the hostels, doing that whole thing. So it was a nine week trip, tons of cities, probably, I think it was 19 cities in nine weeks. I was going, you know, here and there and all over. And there was so much I wanted to see. So that was the priority was like keeping to my itinerary, which I guess I'm that kind of checklist, you know, kind of like, okay, what's next type person. But um, I, I just, at first I was going out at the hostels and the hotels or, you know, whatever, going to the bars, the um, bar crawls and trying to meet people and being really, trying to be really social and interactive. And I am an outgoing extroverted person, but what I found after some weeks doing that is it's just difficult. You're always asking the same questions. You're seeing these people for one night, good night of drinks out in the town, and then maybe they're leaving the next day or you are. And uh, I found that difficult to maintain over that time. And I kind of became a bit less social during that trip. Um, And I was really happy to come back to California at the time to see my friends and and back in San Francisco. So I might do it differently this time. And of course I was moving around super often. So if people are doing even nomadic life for a month or a few months here or there, it's gonna be a different situation than I had. But um, yeah, in my more recent experience, it's been longer term, you know, a couple of years in each location. And so if you invest that time, and I think it's important to invest that time then with people who are living there as well, even if they're not locals, but expats who have an intention to at least be there for more than a few months, then you're able to really reap the rewards of the investment and the friendship and, and you know build some great relationships that then last around the world. And now through Zoom and calls and even little quick trips around Europe, when you can do it, um, it it's that much easier to stay in touch. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's different. You know, I've done my, my home base was Costa Rica, but then I would do some nomadic and, 
and take a couple months here or there. Um, and yeah, you meet people and you might, you might get close with them for a short time and you try to stay in touch with them, of course. Um, but yeah, to really build that, those bonds, uh, you definitely need extended time, uh, which brings me, I guess, to more about what you do because it sounds like you're actually working in these places or you actually, or you help people set themselves up with a visa. If you're just on a tourist visa, you can probably only stay for three or six months generally. And that's not really enough time to, you know, you can say you live somewhere, you can do your border runs or whatever. Um, But yeah, you want to really try to get to know a place and put me, you know, leave your mark on it or uh, let the place really rather let the place leave that mark on you. So are you generally in your, so let me ask about you, first of Mm -hmm. all, Um, I know you have your business. Is that what you do full time? Um, So are you a, a, a remote worker now? Because that comes with this challenges as well, because you don't meet a whole lot of people working from home. So uh, I knew I threw a lot yes. out of, uh, th- I threw a lot out there at you, but uh, David, what, what are you up against? <laughs> yeah, these are really good questions and certainly stuff I've been thinking about a lot myself. Um, so in general, to give some background and context, I was making these moves to Japan, to Germany, to Portugal through having a career in product management. So I did start investment banking, as you mentioned at the beginning, I did that for two and a half years. Then I moved from Charlotte, North Carolina to San Francisco, moved into a product, my first product management role at a tech company. And then that was sort of the, the springboard to this uh, product management career. So I've been doing that and uh, yeah, a lot of ups and downs, uh, some layoffs, including one that happened this past October. And that was finally the point where I said, okay, I've been doing this expat empire thing on the side for more than two, two and a half years. Let me see how I can, it was already in the back of my mind as the next thing that I would do after that job. So when I got the bad news uh, with reductions, had big headcount reductions at the company due to the current situation, I said, all right, this is my opportunity to do this full time. So it's only been a couple of months I've been doing it full time, but it's been a side project of mine for the last two and a half years with the book, with podcast, with uh with meetup events and uh, the website launch back in July of 2018. And then since then also developing these uh, consulting services to help people to get abroad. And indeed, whether that's people that are interested in just doing it for a couple of months as a digital nomad or trying something out, um, naturally I can help them also think through how they can make that income online and things like that. But also if people want to go to a certain country or want country recommendations, want just an idea of how to do that, especially coming from somewhere like the United States and the steps that they have to take. Those are all different types of services that we offer as well. So super excited to be focusing on that and yeah, living a more digital nomadish lifestyle, even though I'm based here in Portugal. So I think in general, for the long-term perspective is my wife and I would like to do half of our time here in Portugal, maybe half in other places, including at least at first in Asia. And uh, so hopefully splitting our time, but we'll see how things develop in this scenario. But super excited to be able to do that and have that location independence. I've been able to move to the places I want to move to. I like the experience of living somewhere long-term, but there's still a lot more travel that I want to do, even with all that I've done. I'm sure you know the feeling. So that's where our minds are at right now and we'll see how it develops. 
That's great. Yeah, I don't know if I read this off in your bio, but you've been to over 60 countries, which is, yeah, really, really impressive. So obviously that was, as you said, you focused on that. That was your priority when you were living, I think you mentioned in Berlin, um, Mm -hmm. because you wanted to hop around and and see some places. And if, geez, if if, uh, people go and live in, in Europe and work in Europe, especially if they're working for a European company uh, or a company that goes by European vacation time, basically yes. is what I'm saying. That's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, hop, hop around there and, uh, and, and you're gonna have time to see some stuff, uh, which is, and so, you know, it's so inexpensive to hop around Europe once you're already there for the most part, so. Exactly. That's yeah, the, awesome. cheap, the, the cheap flights, as you said, the, the great vacation time naturally depends on the country and the company. But um, yeah, especially I was in, so I was in Berlin, which is not sort of getting the same treatment as in Southern Germany, where they have, you know, five weeks of vacation a year and tons of religious holidays that we didn't get in Berlin and things like that. Uh, but what I did get even to that advantage was here in Portugal, I was working for what was a Southern German company based in Munich. So I, even though we were in Portugal on, and Portuguese uh, companies tend to have less holidays than in Germany, I was able to enjoy the, the Southern Germany, a German uh, holiday policies. So it's, it's a great place to be to travel. And indeed, when I thought about where's next coming from Japan, it was really thinking, okay, Berlin's a super cool city and it's in the middle of Europe, cheap flights, weekend trips. Uh, yeah. Some, definitely more holidays than you get in Japan. That's for sure. And uh, yeah, so that, that all kind of came together and I, I feel like I've made good use of the time. <laughs> that's, that's great. Is the Japanese culture uh, when you work there, is it still what you hear working people to the bone and uh, not a lot of time off? Uh, so uh, speaking to my experience, I, it, it'd be more entertaining to give the big uh, Japanese working horror story but I was working for a fairly, I was working in a very foreigner heavy office, a small office in Shibuya, downtown Tokyo, that um, it was a Japanese company, but we were working with the global team. So of course we had to keep some different time schedules and things like that. But by and large, I was working similar hours to what I was working in San Francisco before that. So I had a fortunate experience there, but I had plenty of Japanese friends working at traditional old school Japanese companies that were catching the last train on a regular basis, having to go out on the voluntary kind of more mandatory drinks with the coworkers and things like that. So uh, I certainly saw it from the side, but thankfully I didn't have to get into it too much. That said, you only get something like 10 vacation days a year. And there are a lot of public holidays, so that doesn't tell the whole story. Um, you, You can take the public holidays as well, but that includes your sick days. The 10 days includes everything. So I really tried to squeeze out every possible second of vacation out of those 10 days. I made great use of them, but it was uh, a challenge and something I thought about how I could improve upon in my next move. Sure. And even the culture in San Francisco, uh, it sounds like from what I can gather, I've never lived there, but it's quite split. It seems there's like I have uh, one of my closest friends works at a bank um, doing kind of a Wall Street job. And yeah, he has to get in early for the market to open. 
But then he's off at like what seems like 2, 3 p.m. every day. And he's like, yes, California, I, I don't want to go and take a job on Wall Street in New York because right. they'd be working me to death. But then if you work for, for a startup in San Francisco, well, then that's a whole nother ball game, uh, depending on how small it is. You mentioned you were product right. manager at a tech company. Was it a small company? Uh, that one was one of the larger tech companies that I worked for, but I think at the time it was around 800 people globally. So not ginormous, but also definitely not that early stage startup. And I've had much, I've worked for a much smaller companies since then. Um, and yeah, I think one thing that's important to think about from a, especially remind me of this vacation topic is at that company, they really love to tout their unlimited vacation policy. And it sounds great. But the thing is, if you get a bunch of, I don't know if you want to call it type A people in there that are all working hard and you see everybody working and nobody's taking any time off, then essentially what it means is you take off even less time than you would if you had a, a normal American vacation policy. And uh, and yeah, uh, I, I mean, it felt very weird to ask for the time off. I did do it. But for example, I really wanted to go to Australia. So I said, I want to go to Australia and uh, I got the okay for it, but it was only for one week. You know, and it was like so far just to, I mean, it was still an awesome trip, but just to go that far for nine days of which probably two of them were in the, in the plane uh, was not the most effective use of my time. So I'm glad to be in better work situations now where I can take a longer uh, time Ooh. off. No, that, that's a, a really important um, yeah, thing to point out. And now, do you, I, I'm guessing that you don't really see that abroad. That sounds like a very American uh that <laughs> yeah uniquely american thing where mm -hmm. you didn't know the company culture before you joined and yeah they said i had some days off because they were you know christmas and uh, right. new year's day or something but uh, do you see that abroad or is it really much more cut and dry um i think i think people in general well speaking to europe uh and it does depend depend by country and by company and all that but to, to say the kind of big picture view i think you have a certain number of days and they really want you to take them and if it's could be 20 days or 30 days and depends on all those factors but you can only roll over maybe five days for example uh into the next year as of that following march so it's really hey you guys need to like get your time in the calendar because otherwise you're going to lose it and they really do wants you to take it. And <laughs> if they give you any problem with it, then I'm sure uh, a lot of the, you know, you have pretty good um, rights as an employee in Europe as well. So you sure. could probably take it up with the right, with an authority if you needed to. But my experience so far has not, I've, I've not had any issue taking that time. So I think that's really great. And it's a, uh, it's a cultural element that is indeed different from the United States. And I really appreciate that. Interesting that, yeah, that's, that, I'm, I'm happy to hear. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're in the States, we're innovators and uh, hard workers, but we also tend to forget to enjoy life as well. Um, yeah, so exactly. yeah, and I, <laughs> I, I, I deal with that as well. And, and here, let me ask you this question. Um, Work-life balance in the States, we're always connected. It seems like it just meshes, uh, I think that's the right word, or it just, mm -hmm. it all kind of mixes together um, in a lot of cases. Now, in 
other in other countries, are you seeing that? No, when you leave at five, your phone goes off and you're not expected to be on all the time. Um, yeah. What's your experience, Ben? My experience has mostly been, unless there's any extenuating circumstances, there's a recent product release, something's going on with the website, something like that, that is unexpected and unusual. Uh, otherwise, yeah, pretty much whatever the end of the day is, and it can also adjust based on, oh, I need to go early today because I have some appointment or this or that, then pretty much it's hands off the phone. You don't have to worry about it. Not 100%, and it does depend on the company, and there are certainly the places that if you're in the startup world uh, and the company is growing quickly or has that kind of go-getter culture that is more common in a place like San Francisco, then you may uh, find that not to be the case. But in general, especially in Germany, people really separate their work time and their personal time. And there's you know room made for having a family, a um, lot of rights and, and everything around that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different way to look at life. And there is something, I don't know, like you definitely, for example, if you're really chasing after the almighty dollar, then it might be good to, some advice that I got, for example, at the time when I was in San Francisco was, to continue to work at the company, at the headquarters in San Francisco, that was where the best opportunity was. What I wanted to do was to go to one of their other offices. So I actually ended up getting the opportunity to go to Beijing for three months in that job. And that was incredible. And uh, I, that was me clearly saying, this is more important from an experience perspective for me than just being at the headquarters. So I think these are the kind of questions and um, concerns and debates that people need to have as they think about how they want to progress in their career, whether that's more experience driven or it is more monetarily driven. Of course, if you can have both, by all means, take it, but it can be hard to find. Sure. And, you know, monetarily driven, you always have to factor in cost of living. You exactly. know, the cost of living in Berlin, I'm sure it's gotten more expensive uh, over the last 10 years, but it, it I can't imagine that it's anything like uh, Tokyo, right? <laughs> yeah, and and Tokyo was nothing like San Francisco. So uh, it's oh, been interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's been uh, depends on, of course, the lifestyle that you want to lead. Let's say, but um, I was paying less in Tokyo for my one bedroom. Granted, it was very small <laughs> as a studio than what I was paying as part of a three bedroom place as one of the roommates. And of course it's, I mean, I kind of prefer having my own space anyway, depends on what people prefer, but um, it's been, it's been interesting. Like, <laughs> yeah, to be very transparent, my, my salary has cons generally consistently gone down as you, as I go from country to country. So I've clearly chosen the opportunity, the experience over the money. That being said, I was fortunate enough to start at a high level. And then as I've moved lower, I'm still higher relative to the average uh, locally. So I'm able to live a good life in each of those countries. So it's just something to think about. For example, if somebody's thinking, I wanna start my career abroad, I don't really care what I do, I just wanna be there. It might be possible, but it would be difficult. It would, wouldn't be as easy to maintain the, the high standard of life, depending on what you do, because you might not have that prior experience to be able to get those higher tier positions and to have the previous earning history to show, hey, this is what I was making before. So can you help me out a little bit? And I think that that makes those initial negotiations that much easier. 
Right. David, I'm tracking you now. So you were in San Francisco, super high cost of living, working at a, at a tech company. Then you went to Japan. Okay, a little less cost of living. They don't have to pay you quite as much. You go to right. Berlin, right? I, I can only assume that Portugal is a cheaper place to live uh, yeah. than Germany. And now you ought to get a job like in Marrakesh uh, over in Morocco. <laughs> yeah. and I gotta, just... I gotta keep, I'm trying to break the trend, <laughs> but right. yeah, we'll see. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Okay, cool. Um, and then one part, of your, one part of your story, so it sounded like you move, so you're working for the German company, uh, who moved you to, or you got a job somehow uh, there in Portugal. And then you said in October, there was a layoff, mm -hmm. but you decided to stay, which is a right. big, that's big for people. Now is, mm -hmm. was that because your wife um, also has a job there or you just liked it or cause most people, they get laid off, they get a bad taste in their mouth and they say, okay, let's pack it up. <laughs> Sure. So, uh, yeah, one one point on there, which I do think you kind of alluded to, I do think it's important to highlight is that every time that I've moved, it's been because I got a brand new job. So it was a German company that was started over here, but uh, or had an office over here, but it wasn't that it was the same company. So every time I've moved, it's for a new company, which also is even in a way more challenging because you don't have those connections within the firm to you know help ease the process. So uh, as far as this situation and wanting to stay, so we, yeah, my wife and I really love Portugal. We visited, I had visited on that Europe trip that I mentioned back in 2014. She hadn't visited here, but it was the first place that came to mind for her when we thought about where's after Berlin. And oh, we were still living in Berlin for a while after that discussion. It's kind of earlier in our relationship, but we, uh, she, she had this idea of Portugal and I had loved it when I visited. So then we came back in 2018 for one week, we saw Lisbon and Porto. We were kind of coming at it from an angle of, could we live there and how would we do that? Or, you know, what, where, where would we want to live? Is this the right place for us? But we had some positive impressions and, uh, or expectations and it just blew us out of the water. So we thought this is the next place for us. And, um, I, I had had. Uh, expat empire and doing that full-time in the back of my mind for a while but I still it just wasn't the right time for me I still wanted more time to develop it think it through figure out monetization all that good stuff making some money from it and so uh, that just led to okay I still want to work for somebody else get that start into Portugal and then I was already thinking about how do I was going to make my exit from the company and do this full-time so thankfully from a visa perspective I was able to get it renewed uh, so I originally had a one-year visa, which now is three years. So had that renewed recently and I'm fortunate to have savings from the work that I've done over the years. And so of course, investing in, into the business and pushing that forward. And yeah, I suppose it would be an easy time to say, let's go back to Japan. Let's go to the United States where we're both from, uh, each of us are from, but we just have that desire to continue living abroad. And we really love our life here. Um, very serene place, calm, warm people, generally warm weather, except <laughs> recent days have been pretty rough. Uh, and, and that's part of Northern Portugal as well. Um, so Southern Portugal, you'll get some more sunny days than we get up here. But I, I, my, my fear was sort of having to go back without an option to stay. And the fact that I was uh, able to renew my visa and get everything sorted out just made me so happy to be able to continue this process. So 
I don't know how long we'll be in Portugal, but my goal in the intermediate term is to work toward getting citizenship here. And then that just opens up, well, not having to get visas inside the EU anymore, which would be amazing. So I'm, I'm looking for that long-term long -term opportunity to stay. Great. And um, <clears throat> maybe I missed it, uh, but to get personal with you, your wife is, is from where now? So she's Japanese and we okay. met in Berlin. Uh, so we that's really important as well uh, for anyone out there that's kind of thinking through these things is to be with somebody that is aligned with you on your travel or living abroad goals. And for both of us to find each other outside of our home countries and with a desire to continue that process and live in new places. And we easily decided on Portugal together. So I think that's a good sign. Um, I think that's really important so that you're aligned on that point and it's not hey, I'm thinking about let's, you know, go back home here or there, wherever it is for either of us. But uh, yeah, we'll see how the, the future plays out for us. But I think having that alignment on travel and living abroad is really important. Okay. Uh, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think a lot of people's ears probably perked up when you said you might be able to get your uh, Portuguese passport because you know if you have your EU passport and that opens up a whole lot of doors you can you can travel um, you could live visa free you'll know this better than I uh, would but anywhere in the Schengen region mm -hmm. is that is yeah. that correct and yeah. um, Schengen for people who don't know uh, not to quiz you here David but um, <laughs> could, could you tell people basically what countries those include? Yeah, I would say the vast majority of Western Europe is probably the easiest way to put it. And I mean, probably some, some if not most of, uh, well, let's say a lot of Eastern Europe as well, I think, but pretty much it's the area where if you get, if you come into one of those countries, if you're just traveling around then you get your travel visa and um, for US citizens, there's going to be a new process. I think it's coming into play at the end of 2022, tentatively to have to get your visa, but anyway, uh, ahead of time. Normally it's right now it's uh, on arrival, but then basically you have 90 days within a 180 day period that you can travel around this area. And it's most countries that you're familiar with in Europe. So yeah, the, the goal would be to then have a passport from one of the countries and yeah, an EU member state and just to be able to, uh, yeah, just have a lot more comfort because Every time that I've moved and uh, dealt with layoffs and quitting jobs and changing things, it's always a process of going through the bureaucracy, hoping that they'll give me the approval on the visa. And uh, it, it makes it, I don't want, I personally, it's not that I have some huge problem with going back to the United States. It's more that I want to choose where I go when I go and not feeling that full comfort that I can stay here as long as I want is it does weigh on the back of your mind after some time. So that's what I'm looking for uh, next. And for people that are interested in similar ideas of getting a second citizenship, it's important to look at the countries that allow you to have dual citizenship. Not all of them do. In fact, I think most of them don't, but Portugal is one where they're comfortable with that. Germany, on the other hand, or Netherlands, they basically, unless you have a very specific circumstance require you to given your US citizenship in that case. Okay, in interesting. Um, yeah, and then that's a big decision if you if you give up your right. U.S. Uh, citizenship, of course. Um, but what that 
what that gets you out of is the U.S. taxes that follow you around no matter where you go. So, yes. just so everybody knows that if you are living, um, which is, I'll just express my opinion on it, that it's crazy. <laughs> sure. if, you, if you're living in Portugal and you have not expatriated yourself, um, David, you pay taxes uh, back to Uncle Sam when you have to pay them to the government there uh, in Portugal mm -hmm. as well. Is that correct? Yeah. So it's true that you always have to do a tax return. The good news is that you do get certain deductions, large deductions for the, the income that you make abroad. But that being said, if you're above that amount, um, and there's two different systems, but anyway, not to get into too much of the technicalities, if you're above that amount, then you will be double taxed both in Portugal, for example, and in the United States. So it's an important decision if you want to renounce your citizenship or not, but I think the financial component is really important. But one of, one of course, go, being able to easily go back to the United States if you have family and friends there, um, not have to get a visa as a tourist to come back is important as well. And I think it's now something like $4,000, $4,500 to renounce your US citizenship just out of the gate, let alone any tax implications. So it's not, um, you, you have to do the math to see if it makes sense. But uh, I think it's nice to be able to have the option to have both. And so that's what I'm looking at right now. Okay. And, and off the top of your head, do you know um, what that uh, level of income is where you have to start paying? Is it a couple hundred thousand dollars or I'm just guessing? It's, yeah, it's, it's up. Uh, it's changing every year with inflation, but it's around $108,000 right now. So it's oh, annual okay. income. And that's immediately deducted. It's called the foreign earned income exclusion. So it's immediately deducted. That's, you know, your foreign earned income. And anything above that, there are some other benefits that you can um, that you can claim. There's also, uh, yeah, the other way is foreign tax credits, which is basically if you pay the tax abroad at a higher rate, then you can offset any US taxes you would pay uh, based on that amount. And so essentially, if you have a higher tax rate abroad than you would in the US, that's another way that you can do it. Um, those are the two routes, but in general, it's easiest to think about that number. So just a bit over $100,000 annually that you can just deduct from paying U.S. taxes on. That's lower than I, than I thought. Um, yeah. it's, not like, <laughs> it's not like, hey, we're just going to tax the seven, eight figure earners here. Uh, yeah. Whatever what they make abroad. <laughs> no, they're going to they're gonna come after you if you have a, uh, a good job abroad. So, okay. Yeah, they uh, will. And uh, one other thing to note is that you have to fill out this FBAR uh, form, which you have to do every year. And basically, if you have more than $10,000 in foreign bank accounts aggregated at any point during the year, then you have to fill out this form. And uh, it's it's a bit frustrating because people like, uh, you know, people like us and other listeners that are thinking about going abroad or are abroad from out of, out of the United States have to deal with the fact that we are grouped in together with people that are going abroad for very clear financial reasons <laughs> with much bigger bank accounts than, than we might have. So uh, we have to deal with a lot of the same restrictions, regulations, paperwork that they do from a tax perspective, from a reporting perspective. And it does make things more challenging. Doesn't mean it should stop people from going abroad. This is not uh, cost prohibitive by any stretch of the imagination, but it is important to be aware of it. Sure, that, that makes sense. Um, okay, uh, I, I wanna ask though about your path 
to Portuguese citizenship. Um, I've even heard uh, that, yeah, at, for an, even like an investor visa, you can get to, to I believe it was Portugal, somebody mm -hmm. was telling me might be 250,000 euros or, or something like that. Um, I know that's, uh, perhaps that's one path, uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, would love for you to lay that out to people because I think there's a lot of people interested. People, uh, friends of mine, you know, have grandfathers from Ireland or a grandma from Italy, and they're trying to pursue it that way. But uh, would love to know what route you're taking and what routes are available for people. Yeah, so there is the golden visa that you're talking about. I think the minimum amount is three hundred and fifty thousand euros, if I'm not mistaken, and it does. That's it could also be a rental, uh, a property, sorry, like a rental property investment, let's say, if you were to buy that uh, amount of property here, then that can count toward that amount of money in terms of your investment. And I think it, it depends on where and it can go up to 500,000. So if if people have the means and they're interested, that's absolutely a def, you know, great way to do it. It's very straightforward from that perspective. But what you tend to see is people going for, whether it's a local job in my case, so I got a work visa here, um, but a lot of Americans and people from other countries are coming through the D7 visa. And this is a passive income visa that you generally need around, let's say, 20,000 euros worth of income, uh, which can be coming in from abroad, whether through pension or through pass like working passive income or as a freelancer. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of digital nomads and folks are coming with this visa and able to also benefit from some tax policies here as well, including one, the main one being non-habitual resident status, which essentially means for 10 years, you get what they call a tax holiday. So locally sourced Portuguese income that you make here, tax at 20% instead of a maximum rate of 48%. So that's a big discount. And foreign income, uh, if it's pension income, retirement income, it's about 10% tax rate, but all other income. So let's say you have US-based clients and you're doing, or you're getting all of your income from the US, then that's actually not taxed here if it can be taxed in your home country. So really incredible tax opportunity and uh, dual citizenship, which you can get, you can go through that route after five years of residence here. Um, like all of these things just make it, and it's just a wonderful country. So all put together, um, I, I think it's an incredible place to be and definitely a spot where a lot of people are looking to move to. Wow, that's that's cool. Um, yeah, brief disclaimer. Uh, <laughs> to my knowledge, David is not a uh, an attorney or <laughs> a or an accountant. So uh, please don't take any of this uh, as yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, legal or investment, uh, accounting advice, tax advice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but I, I will ask. Uh, not to get too much into the weeds, but that this is a big difference. That three hundred fifty thousand euros. Can you finance that property? Like if you just bought a little rental house for $350,000, can you get a uh, mortgage at a bank or you could do owner financing, I imagine? Yeah, I, I believe that's fully allowed. What I tried to do from, uh, so I'm not on that visa, but just looking at purchasing property here, I also filled out some mortgage uh, application paperwork. And the challenge is that if you want to do, for example, just 20, 30% down, it might be in the higher side here than uh, what's common in the United States. So let's say 30%, then you really need to be settled here and I need to have a permanent contract. And so I wasn't able to get the mortgage for that reason alone. Whereas people that are coming with, for example, 70, 80% of that amount, then will probably find it much easier to get the remainder from a bank in terms of a mortgage. 
So it really depends on how much you're able to put down, I think, uh, at the end of the day. I see. And you said permanent contract, meaning you have an employer in the country. Correct. Right? So, yeah. So I was uh, initially on a one-year contract, which would have gone into a permanent contract and then would have had much more rights and, you know, an ongoing contract really would have been up more up to me when I wanted to leave um, than, than to the employer. But because I didn't get that renewed with the, uh, the layoffs that I mentioned last October. So yeah, wasn't able to get that, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, yeah, understood. Um, I'm going to try to steer us out of the nitty gritty, <laughs> because, but I, I love this stuff. Um, I'm not Me sure too. that all listeners <laughs> are, yeah, are, uh, yeah we're, we went into the 400 level real quick, I think. <laughs> um, but to, to break it back out into the intro level, uh, one thing that people are probably wondering is about the local languages. Now, uh, David, you might've been an anime fan growing up and, and dove into, you know, my brother's fluent in Japanese and it's because he grew up watching nice. anime and he just went all in on Japanese. All his friends in New York are Japanese. He worked at a Japanese restaurant. Like, you know, he got awesome. that, he got that done, but that's, I mean, he's just incredible with languages. Um, how's your how's your german how's your portuguese are you just hanging out with uh expats how's the level of english in these places because as we were talking about before about making friends um that's going to be a big uh, a big part of it yeah it is, it is a great question and my experience has been different based on the country that i've been in so as yeah, similar to your brother, I studied Japanese since I was 12. I was really serious about it. Got to the top. I passed the top level proficiency exam. And uh, yeah, that was kind of, I reached the pinnacle of my Japanese studies while I was there. So I was super happy about that. And then I ended up only staying in Japan for two years. So it was all that studying, all that work. And it was a lot of work, thousands and thousands of hours over the years. Um, and then I of course, I now use it with my wife. We speak English and Japanese, so that helps. But in terms of so much time just to live in a country for two years, when I then moved ultimately to Germany, and I was moving because they had English speaking roles at tech companies there, because it was in the middle of Europe with a lot of cheap travel, because there were, it was a very cool city, lots of expats there. I wasn't as excited about learning German and it really like, yeah, I just didn't learn too much. I mean, I, I knew the basics, but um, if it would have been better if I, if I had a long-term intention to stay there to have invested more time into studying the language. And I did have some German friends that of course spoke English very well um, that I worked with, for example, but most of my friends were fellow expats that either spoke you know, very well with a lot of study or didn't speak much. And now here in Portugal, uh, yeah, I'd say a pretty mixed friend group. I've learned, I've had more, I've spent more time in classes. I've learned more Portuguese. I'm still not great. So there's still a lot for me of work for me to do there. But I think in a way, I, you know, I really pushed so hard on Japanese and it's just a little hard to restart after that many years of intense study in a brand new language. And with that feeling of now having moved a few times, not really being exactly sure where I'm going to stay. Of course, like I said, my intention is to stay here in Portugal. But um, yeah, my wife and I have taken lessons and try to practice when we can. But uh, you just have to make time with it alongside everything else. And it's harder, you know, the more busy that you are at work and things like that. Like it's, it's, it was much different to study in high school 
than it is to uh, to to be studying now amidst all the other family responsibilities and work and and you know trying to make time for yourself and with your friends as well. Well, David, you uh, you were able to find a Japanese wife in Berlin, so I don't <laughs> think your Japanese went totally to waste, and now no, you no. use it. <laughs> Wait, would your wife would have gone for you if you didn't speak Japanese, or was that the the hook, line, and sinker? Well, what I can say is we met through a language exchange uh, mm. situation. So I suppose from that level, you never know if we would have met another way, but that is uh, that was the first way that we met. So from that perspective, I think it, it's it's definitely paid dividends. Um, but yeah, it's uh, unless I think for me, I, I decided that the the role and the job was more important than the location, even how, how much I love Japan. Um, and so when push came to shove and the job seemed to be coming to a close there and I couldn't find the next good role to jump to, I thought, all right, maybe it's time to take a look at another place. And as I've made those decisions and moved from country to country, um, yeah, maybe it depends on your ultimate goal and how, how much you're willing to invest. Great. Um, no, that, I think that's wise advice. Uh, would you like to do some rapid fire questions? <laughs> sure. All right, we're gonna wrap up soon, but I like to put everybody in the hot seat for a second. So uh, just let me know the first thing that comes to your mind, if you'd like to elaborate, uh, you know, for a couple seconds, feel free. Uh, but these are rapid fire questions. <laughs> um, so I would like to know, uh, let's see, David McNeil from Expat Empire, uh, if people wanted to move abroad and let's say stay a minimum of two years, where would you tell them to go? <laughs> oh, rapid fire. That's a tough one. Okay. To be rapid fire. I think it, I honestly think a great option is Berlin, Germany. And okay. just to, just to elaborate for one second, a lot of English speaking job opportunities. There are tons of foreigners, great central place in Europe. There's a lot of challenges that come with it, but it's a, it's a good choice. Okay, great. And um, if people are looking for a career change because they want to work abroad, what, uh, what field might you recommend that they get into that will open more opportunities uh, outside of the, let's say outside of North America? Sure. I think a great one anywhere you go is going to be something related to coding, for example. I mean, I haven't really gotten into it so much myself. Uh, I've gone a different route, but even just something that you can do at, at tech companies is going to be better because it's typically going to be an English speaking role. They always need more people, especially in those hubs uh, around the world, such as Berlin or in Ireland or all these different places. And um, yeah, it's a really uh, portable skill set. Great. Now for people who have their own business or they are freelancers uh, and they want to be kind of in a, in a hub um, where there are other people building things, uh, where would you send them? I know Berlin is a good choice for this, uh, but where mm -hmm. you, you have anywhere, let's say besides Berlin uh, sure, that you sure. might send them to. Sure. So I know a lot of people are, for example, coming here to Portugal. The big one that everyone talks about is, of course, in Bali and Thailand as well. So I think those are some of the common spots all around Southeast Asia. Um, 
But I know, yeah, there's tons of people going to Lisbon, Porto, yeah, coming here to Portugal, just as other examples. Okay, great. Um, if you could have any passport in the world <laughs> to be coupled with your uh, U.S. passport, what would you pick? <laughs> hmm. I think I'm going to have to say somewhere here in the EU. So easy enough to say Portugal because of the dual citizenship and also the fact that, yeah, as we talked about, I'll be able to go to so many countries without issue. So hopefully that gives me enough room to be able to go somewhere new if I want to and not have to still worry about too much visa stuff. Great. Well, I'm happy that people take their own advice, right? So <laughs> you answered Berlin, you answered Portugal, and I don't believe that that was just the easy answer for you. It was that you you picked out where you wanted to go and you were doing it. You're building your own thing now. And um, yeah, that's that's awesome. It's really great to, to see uh, your success. And I think People got a lot of value out of this episode. Uh, David, if you would like to tell our listeners where they can find you, I know you have uh, the Expat Empire podcast. Um, you have uh, a URL that I'd love you to shout out, which will, of course, be on the show notes uh, at under30experiences.com slash blog. Uh, yeah, where can people reach out to you uh, directly and find you online? Yeah, definitely. So I definitely urge people to check out expatempire.com. You can get all the information there. It's also a free top 10 tips for moving abroad ebook that I put together based on my experience. And if you're at all interested in getting abroad, whether it's digital nomad, trying to do some long-term travel or moving abroad to a certain location, or you're trying to figure out where that place is, then feel free to also reach out to schedule a free 30-minute call that we can just, between the two of us, or with your significant other, family members, talk through those options, your goals, and your dreams and see how we can help you to achieve them. I like it, David. Thank you for encouraging people to live more adventurous lives. And uh, yeah, best of luck. I'm looking forward to coming and hanging out with you on your podcast, Turning the Tables. Absolutely. Yeah, let's switch microphones and see how it goes. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been a real pleasure. You're very welcome. <laughs>